0: Turn with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude, uh, chapter number 2 this morning. Amen? (laughs) I heard somebody back here. It was Brother Bob. He knows his Bible better than the rest of you. Turn to the book of Jude. Most of you would know there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. The book of Jude, I guess if you had to say it, it sounds funny not to say, doesn't it? Jude chapter 1, I guess, is what we would say. I want you to look with me at verse number 20. Through verse number 23, just a few verses this morning, I want to give you just a short thought. Boy, isn't it good to be able to come into the Lord's house on a rainy, dreary day, have to swim our way to church, amen, and uh, get here and wring ourselves out and air dry through Sunday school and get in the service and just be able to worship the God of heaven. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad when the sun don't shine, the sun still shines this morning? Aren't you thankful even though it may be a dreary day, we still have the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shining brightly in our hearts? Hallelujah this morning that we can worship God regardless of circumstances. We've got it better than most. You know it this morning, we got it better than most. But I'm glad no matter what our circumstances, we can worship the God of heaven together. And I just hope this morning your heart and mind will be open to the Word of God. Uh, Beginning in verse number 20, Jude writing says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I want you to notice these two verses. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I want to read that verse again. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by... By the flesh. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before Your throne. Oh, what a privilege it is, God of heaven, to come before Your throne and to enter it boldly, seeking help, Lord, and seeking grace. Father, we'd ask this morning that uh, Your power and Your unction, Your presence would be felt and manifested in this service. Lord, that You'd stir our hearts to a closer walk with You, to a fiercer dedication, Lord, and to a more consecrated holiness in Your eyes. Father, I pray if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone without Christ, that this morning, Lord, would become their spiritual birthday. That they would call upon the name of Jesus Christ, ask Him to forgive them of their sins, and give their heart and life to Him this morning. I pray, Father, that You would accomplish that, or that You would convict them through the power of the Holy Spirit, show them their need of Calvary. Lord, You, You know what the needs are this morning, and I do not, Lord. But You know what the needs are, and I'd ask that You'd meet them. Lord, I'm thankful I don't know the needs this morning, else I'd try in my vain efforts to meet them. But God, we're at Your mercy this morning, seeking only Your presence and power to meet needs that we cannot meet. We love You so much, Lord. Lord, it's not a love that we've birthed, but that you birthed in us. We love You because You first loved us. Now teach us to love You more, Lord. We thank You for it, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to hone in on a little phrase used in verse number 23, and I just want to pull a thought from it and give you three things this morning that I think ought to help us uh, in our daily walks. The Bible says at the end of verse number 23, it says, Hating the garment, even the garment spotted by the flesh. You know, I got thinking about that little word hate. We always equate the word hate in a negative context, and I understand why we do that. And if you were to ask somebody, how is it that we bring people to Jesus Christ, you'd say it's through love. How is it that we see the needs of others? You'd say it's through love. But you'll find a strange dichotomy in the Word of God, and it's not a yin and yang, but it's a scriptural principle. You'll find that if you love something enough, you're going to hate something else. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, the farmer, you see, he loves crops, doesn't he? So he hates weeds. The shepherd, he loves the sheep, so he hates the wolves. And I think a good healthy dose of hate this morning, if it's directed towards the right thing, will help us love people more. You see, we live in a world that teaches that hate is not a a natural uh, emotion or a natural feeling. And let me say very explicitly this morning that I don't believe we ought to hate any human being. You say, preacher, what about the Sodomites? Oh, you mean the sinners lost and undone without Christ that were going to the same devil's hell you were before you got saved? Is that who you mean this morning? Yeah, we ought to love them. You say, oh, you, you, what about the drunkards, preacher? What about them drunk drivers that get out and kill people? Oh, you mean them drunk drivers that were trying to find something to pour into the empty hole in their heart that only Christ can fill? You mean that person? Yeah, we all love that person. You say, preacher, what about the pedophiles? Oh, we're getting deep now, aren't we? What about the pedophiles? Oh, you mean the people, most of them were so warped by someone else that don't even know how to love? And they're headed to that same devil's hell that you're headed to if you die without Christ. You mean that person? Yeah, we ought to love them. You say, what about their sin? We ought to hate their sin. We ought to love the sinner. No more harmonious example of this in all Scripture than the blessed Son of God. He knew how to hate the sin but loved the sinner. And I think this morning, if we're going to start reaching people, there's some things we've got to have such a hatred for that affects our lives. See, the problem is we think it's good enough to be kind to people. Do you know that kindness is not what's needed for a man to get saved? The gospel's what's needed for a man to get saved. So what if I live it in front of him? Well, glory to God, that's good. You ought live it in front of him. We're going to deal with that in a moment. But it takes the gospel. Christ exemplified this in John chapter number 4. The immaculate Son of God sat down by a woman at a well and gave her verbally and confrontationally the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, what about lifestyle evangelism? Neighbor, if he couldn't do it, you can't do it. If the son of God's testimony was not good enough to bring a lost sinner to Calvary, he was perfect. What chance do you think your testimony or mine has of doing that? You say, oh, but what about, uh, you know, people that know us real well? Yeah, you're going to have to live it in front of them, but if the only people you ever win to Christ are people that know your life intimately, you're going to go to heaven a pauper. You meet people every single day that are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It could be they don't even know a Christian personally and intimately. Some of you, wrap your mind around this this morning, friend. Each and every one of you are the best Christian someone knows. You may not be the best Christian everyone knows. But you're the best Christian someone knows. And when they see your life, they identify it with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary this morning. They identify your life with it. And when you say, what's a Christian? They look at you and they say, that's a Christian. Yeah, you ought to live it in front of them, but you're going to meet people that do not know you. That need the gospel as well. I believe there's three things this morning. And I want to preach to you on this topic of a hate that is holy. I believe there's three things that we need to learn to hate this morning. And let me say, they're not things we hate about others, but they're things that we'll hate about ourselves or about our flesh. We're not talking about an outward hate towards someone else, but an inward hate, not of who we are in Jesus Christ, but who the natural man is. And we ought to hate the natural man. You know that? We ought to hate the flesh. We ought to wage war against the flesh. Most of us, we're just drifting through the battle that we uh, have and wage with our flesh. But I think we ought to get active about this war on the flesh. Don't you? I, I, I think we ought to get to the place... You know what God's... This isn't the message this morning, but you bear with me. You know what God's policy is on the war on the flesh? No quarter... No retreat. You know that this morning? You know what Paul said? We're not to give any occasion to the flesh. No quarter. No quarter. There ought not be an area of your life that you say, I'll hold this back from Christ. I'll hold this back from Him. I'll just do this one little thing. It'll be okay. It's under the blood. Yeah, neighbor, it may be under the blood, but it's under the eyes of the lost and dying world too. And they see it, friend, and God's policy concerning the works of the flesh and the uh, corruption and carnality of the natural man is no quarter, no survivors, no prisoners. We'll do everything we can to destroy every opportunity the flesh might have to show itself. You say, preacher, you mean the eradication of the sinful nature? No, that's not what I mean. I know, I know. John made it very clear when he said, beloved, now we're the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. John said that. John's, you know John, the beloved disciple. John, the man that heard the very heartbeat of the Savior, that laid his head upon the breast of the Son of God. John that characterized himself. John that to himself he had no name. Oh, I like this. You know what John's name was if you asked him? You know what John's name was? John wouldn't say, I'm John the disciple. John wouldn't have said, "I'm John the Apostle. I'm John the Pastor Ephesus. I'm John that suffered for the Lord and was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. I'm John that was carried up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and saw things that were unspeakable and peered back, uh, peeled back the drapes of heaven and looked in upon the throne room of the Son of God." John wouldn't say that to me. You know how John described himself. He said, "John, the disciple whom Jesus loved." <laughs> that was his identity. That it didn't matter what else had happened. God loved him. <laughs> that meant something to him. I don't care where you've been. Christ loves you this morning. Christ loves you. You say, but I'm a rascal. Yeah, maybe you are. But Christ loves you. You say, I've messed up. My life's broken. Yeah, maybe it is. But we've got a God that binds up the broken hearted. <laughs> we've got a balm in Gilead that soothes the wounds. We've got a blood that washes clean as snow this morning. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. I want to notice three things this morning. I, I promise you I'm going to preach this uh, here in just a second. Amen. <laughs> I want to give you three things that I, that I want you to write down in, in, in the margin of your Bible or in the margin of your mind. And I want you to keep them and tuck them away and use them. Look at verse number 22. The Bible says, and of some have compassion making a difference. Now, if we could define compassion uh, in, in, a, in a very specific way. I, I define compassion as this, being emotionally inconvenienced for the sake of another. We confuse compassion and pity. But pity is not compassion. Pity is to look at a person and say, oh, look how pitiful they are. I feel bad for them. Compassion is to say, I'm going to make it my business to feel what they feel. I, I'm going to make their state my concern. In my life, And it's to allow yourself to be affected by the lost state of others as it relates to salvation. That's what compassion is. But if we could just put it in a very simple one-word definition, we'd say compassion is caring. It's caring. Let me ask you a question. And I, and I don't want you to answer this too quickly. Because I want it to be answered by your life, not by your lips. Do you care that people die and go to hell every day? I'm not here to beat anybody up. I'm here to be honest with you. Do you care... Now I know everybody in this room would immediately say, "Yes, preacher, yes, I care when people die and go to hell." Let me ask you this: Does your life say that quite so loudly as your lips do? Do I care? Let me ask you something. Most of you are still working. Most of you had coworkers, and probably if you're if you're like I was when I worked a secular job, a lot of those coworkers were lost and on their way to a devil's hell. Does that bother you? Does it bother you when the walk through, when you walk through the doors of your workplace that you're surrounded by souls that are eternal that will spend eternity somewhere? Does that bother you? Does it consume your heart, consume your mind? I believe that one of the things we need to grow to hate if we're going to reach people for Christ is the attitude of apathy. You know, we live in an apathetic world. We live in a world that just does not care. I was telling Brother Kerry, this will upset some of you, I'm sure, and that's okay. It wouldn't be the first time. Amen. But I was talking to Brother Kerry and we were talking about politics. That's always fun, right? We are talking about politics. And I told him, I said, the direction of our country concerns me. Concerns me deeply. When I see the things that take place, it concerns me. I said, but the individual news stories, I don't care about them anymore. You say, preacher, what do you mean? I don't care what happened in Benghazi. You know why? Because the rest of the country doesn't care, so nothing's going to be done about it. Am I on square this morning? we okay? I, you say, preacher, doesn't it concern me? Oh, it deeply concerns me. It deeply concerns me that an American president would lead his people as sheep to a slaughter and leave them without help. That concerns me. But I'm not going to occupy my heart and mind with it because the country's not going to do anything about it. We live in a in a police state, essentially, a media police state. We okay this morning? I hope we are this morning, because I'm just trying to be truthful. If you if this if you don't see this as truth, you maybe just need to open your eyes a little bit. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me what happens with this Snowden character. You know why? Because the rest of the character, the rest of the country, they don't care what happens to. Now don't confuse me. It it concerns me deeply that these things take place. But I made the conscious decision that my life's not going to be consumed waiting on a handful of people in Washington, D.C. to decide that this country is on the path to destruction to fix it. I'm a citizen of another world, of another place. I'm not looking for a president to fix it. I'm not looking for uh, an emperor to fix it. I'm not looking for Congress to fix it. Oh, neighbor, I'm looking for a king this morning. And he's going to make it right. He's going to fix it. But we live in a world of Apathy. We live in a world that just doesn't care. That's why, that's why our country's in the state it's in. That's why our homes are in the state that they're in. That's why the school system's in the state that it's in. We live in a a world of apathy. And that's infected the Christian heart and mind. People all around us on their way to hell. And you know what we do? We just shrug it off. Shrug it off. Listen to me. There's going to come a day. I want you, I want you to do an exercise. You know how you fix apathy? You know what the Bible says about Christ in the Gospels? Every time it uses the word compassion concerning the Savior. You know what it says? It says when He saw them, He was moved with compassion. When He looked upon them, He was moved with compassion. Blindness breeds apathy. Awareness breeds compassion. And if we just make this a practice of recognizing the reality of hell, and the people are really on their way there, You know, the Bible says that broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, many many there be that go therein. Uh, That straight and narrow is the way that leadeth life everlasting, few there be that find it. Do you know that to this day, just as it was true when it dropped from the lips of the Son of God, it's true today that there's still more people going to hell than there are going to heaven? Walk through Walmart sometime. I know you go to Walmart. (laughs) I go. Amen. I know you go. If you don't go to Walmart, go to Target. Amen. Wherever you go. Walk up and down the aisles and see souls of men, women, children that are going to spend eternity somewhere. Go to work sometime and that, that fellow you sit next to or that woman that you sit beside, that customer that comes in every day that you're familiar with, why don't you stop, look into their eyes, recognize the fact that someday, somewhere, that person will spend eternity. I'll tell you what's killing the church today is casual Christianity. Apathy. Just float on through. Any old dead fish can float downstream. Just float on through. People dying and going to hell. You say, preacher, are you consumed by it? I'm not near as consumed as I ought to be this morning. It doesn't bother me as much as it ought to bother me this morning. And that bothers me this morning. It doesn't break this heart like it ought to break this heart. It doesn't... I could ought to bring tears. And I'm telling you, church, until we get to the point that we hate this attitude of apathy, we're never going to do anything in the way of winning people to Christ. Till we get to the place that it bothers us that we don't care. Until it gets to the place that we hate it in the very depths of our soul, that we don't care that it doesn't bother us that men, women, and children are dying and going to hell, and we just go along in our merry life not caring one way or another. Until we hate that about ourselves, it's never going to change we got to hate this attitude of apathy. I want you to notice the second thing this morning. Look at verse number 23. The Bible says, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Let me say that we've got to get over this attitude of apathy. We've got to hate it. But let me say secondly, we've got to hate this fear of fire that we have. The preacher, what do you mean? Fire is always connected in the Word of God with both purification and trial and tribulation. That the trial of your faith being found much more precious than of gold. The Bible always equates, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing hath happened unto you. The persecution is a part of being a soul winner. I'll tell you why a lot of people will not give the gospel. Are you ready this morning? A lot of people will not give the gospel because they're afraid of the reproach that comes with it. What if they look at me funny? I look at you funny every week, you still keep coming back, amen? What if they think I'm weird? I hate to tell you, church, but the ship's already sailed on that for most of us. We are a little weird, amen? We wouldn't put up with each other if we weren't. Common weirdness in this place, amen? We have the unity of the Spirit and the unity of the strangeness, amen? And there's this fear that people are going to look at us cross-eyed. Yeah, they might. They might. But let me ask you something. What means more to you that you retain your pride? Pride which goeth before fall. Pride which was the very birth sin of iniquity. Pride which is the destruction of all those ensnared by. Pride which is the very thing that sends uh, men and women and children to a devil's hell. Pride. Is that pride more important to you than the souls of those that are around you? That's alarming. I know, I know I'm not doing backflips. I know this ain't one of them shouting messages. Brandon came up to me. He said, if you preach shouting messages more, I'm going to be upset. You know, he's in children's church and he always has to hear doctrinal messages. That really bums him out, you know. Mm-hmm. So he he said, "You," I said, I'm preaching on a hate that is holy. He said, you'll be fine. I won't worry about it. <laughs> I know. I know I'm not preaching about the second coming this morning. I know I'm not preaching about the efficacy of the blood this morning. I know I'm not preaching about the glorious assurance of the Holy Spirit this morning. I know that this morning. But I believe this is one of the most vital topics we could deal with because it's corrupting us. It's eating us alive. We have this fear that people are going to reject us. You know what? They might. They rejected the Son of God. And listen, it ought to, this ought to bother us. It ought to bother us that we're not willing to live like Christ, because it might mean somebody gets upset with us when everybody got upset with our Savior. We are so scared of being Christ-like this morning that we'll embrace the world that is the enemy of God before we'll become Christ-like. We're scared of it this morning. We're afraid of it. We're afraid of the fire. You'll never pull anybody out of the fire without getting a little smoke on you. You'll never get in and get somebody out. Get them out of the clutches of hell and of Satan. You'll never do that except you might have to put up with a little ridicule. I just think it's worth it this morning. Thank God for an old-time man of God that was willing to stand and preach the gospel so a 10-year-old boy could come and know the Savior. Thank God for a man that was willing to suffer reproach and suffer ridicule. People look at him and say, you're out of your mind. He came down to Knoxville, Tennessee in 1952 to start a church with nobody. With nobody, with no money. He came down and tried to beg everybody to come with him. You know that? Tried to beg everybody. He called Mays. Him and Mays were friends. He called Mays and said, Mays, I want you to come up from the land. I want you to help me build this church. And and Mays, I'm not not talking ill about Mays. He was a man of God. But he had his own things going on. He had his own ministry going on. He couldn't find anybody. He went and found a a, a little ramshackle house on Magnolia Avenue owned by J. Harold Smith. Some of you remember J. Harold Smith. And he bought that thing We didn't even have the money to buy it. He began to preach the gospel and preach the gospel and preach the gospel. And God began to save souls and to move. And he had to fight some battles, you know it? He had to fight some battles. He had to get in the fire sometimes. He had to get in the difficulty sometimes. But, but thank God he fought the battles. It was worth it in this preacher's life because he fought the battles. Some of you know some men of God in your life. You're here today. Our church is like most. Our church is not predominantly made up, right now at least, of people that were reached through this church. Is that accurate? How many of y'all were saved at Walridge? Would you raise your hand? That's it. How many of y'all were saved somewhere else? Sure. That means, and even those saved at Walridge, you had somebody that fought the fight for you. You had somebody that fought the fight for you. And each one of you, you could probably name men of God in your life. They were willing to go into the fire so that you could be pulled out. They were willing to go in so that you could get out. They were willing to suffer the ridicule and suffer the reproach. They were willing to be called names and made fun of and have the people turn their back on them. They were willing to do that because they loved souls. And they wanted to see people come to know the Savior. Thank God for people that will go into the fire. We've got a church today, and I don't mean Walridge in particular, I mean the church in general. But the church today is scared of the fire. We're going to CEOs to find out how to build our churches. We're going and we're we're, we're reading every manual we can read instead of going by the Word of God, because we know if we go by the Word of God, people are going to say, that's foolish. They will. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. People say, it's been quoted... Some of you got, got that purpose-driven mess sitting on your, your bookshelf right now. Rick Warren made the made the statement. You say, oh, but preacher, don't you know that his son died? Yeah, and I feel terrible about that. I hate that his son took his own life, but that don't make his heresy anymore right this morning, does it? And he made the statement. He said, you just can't build a church on preaching and praying anymore. Y- yeah, you can't build a church like he's got off that. Come on. You can't build a church full of 90% lost people and 10% carnal people like that. But you want to build a church that really honors the body of Christ, you'll do it through preaching and praying and praising and seeking the Lord and winning people to Jesus Christ. That's how it's done. We don't want to do that now. Why? We're looking for the new and latest and greatest and slickest way to get it done. Why? Because we don't want to go into the fire. It's hard work to go in the fire. Might ruin some friendships if you start giving the gospel out. Yeah, and you might win a few to Christ by doing it too. How might alienate some people? Yeah, they're already aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. They're already lost and alien to the family of God. You alienate them, maybe you might alienate them away from the world and into the body of Christ. Yeah, it's going to take going into the fire. we got to hate this fear that we've got. We've got to hate it. It's got to be something that we despise about ourselves to such a degree that we'll give it over to Christ and ask Him to take it away from us. I want to give you a third thing and I'll hush. I want you to see that it says, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. We've got to learn to hate this attitude of apathy in ourselves. We've got to learn to hate this fear of the fire, fear of persecution in ourselves. But I want you to notice thirdly, we've got to to learn to hate this corruption of carnality in our lives. Jude writes and says, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Even the garment. Well, what's the garment? The garment typically, I don't know, maybe you chew up and swallow a garment, but typically the garment is worn on the outside of the body. Is that correct? And the garment recognizes the outward testimony. And I understand there's a particular application of that concerning the person being saved i understand that this morning but i believe there's an application of it to you and me that we got to get to the place where we hate anything that harms our testimony you got two things in this life you got your salvation testimony and you got the testimony of your christian walk what are they saying there's a lot of people's salvation testimony that's square on square on I mean, you could, I've known people, listen to me, I've known people that had a salvation testimony that looked like it had been pulled from a, uh, from a gospel track. And they were lost as a ball in high weeds. They knew the right words. They knew how to go through the motions. Someone had prayed them through a prayer. They knew how to do it right, you know. But their Christian walk, their testimony of their Christian walk was trash. It was worthless. Worthless. Let me tell you something. People are looking at you in the way you live. And we've got to get to the place where anything, anything, that anything from the flesh that might put a stain on that testimony, we grow to hate it. You know why separation is such a hot-button issue today? Because we don't hate the corruption of carnality. We don't live our lives with bringing men to Christ in mind. And so you know what we do? We do everything we can to push the boundary, to push the envelope. Some of you have raised kids, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I was in high school, I went to a private school, and we had to wear our shirts tucked in all the time. You know, that was torture on like a 14-year-old, you know? That was horrible. So what we do, literally, how dumb is... You know, kids can be dumb. Did you know that? Kids can just be dumb. And we and I was a dumb kid, amen? Amen. Somebody, y'all are quiet this morning. I don't know if you're afraid to say amen or you just don't believe it because of how brilliant I am now. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Now, I was a dumb kid. And, thank you, Brother Bob. An honest brother in the house. And you know what we'd do? We'd take and we would untuck our shirts until just the hem, just the hem of it was tucked in. I know what we were doing. And the teachers knew what we were doing, too. We're pushing that envelope. We're pushing that envelope. Some of you have seen it in little ones. It's funny. I'll see little ones do this sometime. Parents will say, now you stay right here. First thing they start doing. You know what they're doing? They're testing the waters. They're trying to see how much they can get away with. You know why they do that? Because they care more about what they want to do than what their parents ask of them. Let me tell you what Christians do. God says, here's a straight and narrow path, now walk it. And we walk that path and pretty soon we start trying to veer out of the way. God, God says that we're not to have any part nor any, any, any anything with that which is unclean. We're to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. God said, you do this and I'll be a father to you. That relationship will be solid. That fellowship will be unshakable. But you know what we do with separation? We push the envelope. You know why? We care more about ourselves than we care about the Lord. I knew it would be quiet when I said that. That's okay. We care more about ourselves than we care about the Lord. We're more concerned with our wants than we are with His will. And so we just push it. And push it. And push it a little further. A little further. You know the problem with that? you got people watching your testimony. And they see, they see, you may not see that stain on your garment, but they see that stain on your garment. One of the hardest realities I've ever had to face is that there's probably going to be people in hell because of the way that I've lived my life. I'm not, I'm not saying that about you. It may be true about you. It may not. I hope to heaven that it's not, but I know for me, because of the way that I have lived my life at times, there's going to be people in eternal damnation and hellfire. because I was the only Christianity that they saw, and I've displayed to them a cheap and empty and vain and carnal Christianity. I've got to answer for that one day, church. I've got to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for that one day. kind of makes you realize what Paul meant when he said, Concerning the judgment seat of Christ, he said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said, I'm going to have some things to answer for one day. This preacher's going to have some things to answer for one day. This preacher's going to have some people to answer for one day. And it's because of the carnality that at times he's allowed into his life. Things that didn't seem like such a big deal, but it was all it took to turn someone away from Christ. You know, we ought to hate that today. We ought, it ought to break our hearts. It ought to break us in two when we sin and we know we've done wrong and we think, Oh my, this could affect someone's salvation. That ought to break us in two. We ought, need, we ought not need the, uh, the paint preached out the walls. We ought not need uh, all of the, 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 the songs served. We, we ought not need the pep talk when we just realize that our sin might lead someone to a devil's hell that ought to be enough to cause us to break into and flee to an altar and plead God's forgiveness and ask for His power and ask for His mercy to move upon our lives that we might not live in such a way as to cause the damnation and destruction of others. That ought to break us. You know why it would break us? Because we'd hate it so bad. We ought to hate that. We ought to hate anything that could stay in our testimony. A lot of these discussions about separation would be done if we just had this attitude. Because you know what? We wouldn't be looking to push the envelope. We wouldn't be looking at how long is too long, how short is too short, how, high, how tight is too tight. We wouldn't be looking at, at what's how, how much is too much rock and roll, how much is too much honky-tonk. How, we wouldn't be asking those questions. We'd just say, Lord, here's my life. Make it something that will bring you glory. Make it something that will draw sinners to Calvary. Make it something that you're going to be proud of. It said a lot of things. But it's going to take hate. Strong dislike ain't going to do it. Preference isn't going to do it. <clears throat> the, the suggestions of others. You know, I made up my mind when I started pastoring. I'm almost done, I promise you. You know, I made up my mind when I started pastoring. I wasn't going to try to be the Holy Ghost for anybody. I wasn't going to try to be the Holy Ghost for anybody. I can superimpose what I believe is right upon people if I choose. And they'll have a vain, plastic Christianity. That is pleasing only to the person they're trying to please and not to the God of heaven. So I made up my mind when I started pastoring, I'm not going to be the Holy Ghost for any congregation. I'm going to preach the Word of God. I'm going to live Christ in front of them. I'm going to try to lead them in the right direction. But I am not going to be the Holy Ghost for anybody. I'm going to let the Holy Ghost do His office work. I made up my mind about that. And you know, it's if we'll truly walk in the Spirit of God... We'll mortify the deeds of the flesh. A lot of the a lot of the discussion about what's right concerning separation would just would just be done with if we'd walk in the spirit of God, because we'd look at it and we'd say, "Lord, anything that might turn souls from Calvary, I don't want it in my life." Preference isn't going to do it. Another man's convictions is not going to do it. We've got to have a hatred. We've got to have a hatred of carnality in our lives. To such a degree that it moves us. To such a degree that it breaks us. To such a degree that we cannot be convinced out of it. The devil cannot sell us a bill of sales concerning sin. It's got to be so real to us that it changes us. It's dead Christianity that's sending people to hell. We need something real and alive. We need this hatred to be real and alive. You say, preacher, I thought it was love. You love something enough you're going to hate anything that harms Any of you, if anybody's ever picked on your kids or harmed one of your kids or your grandkids, you know what I mean. The only reason you have those feelings towards that person that has harmed your child or, or grandchildren is because of your love for them. The farmer hates weeds because he loves his crops. The shepherd hates wolves because he loves his sheep. I believe Christians ought to hate sin because they love the Savior and the souls of men. Three things that we need to hate. We need to learn to hate the attitude of apathy. We need to learn to hate this fear of fire that we've got in persecution. We need to get to the place where we hate the corruption of carnality. And we guard our testimony. You know what Paul said about repentance? He said, yea, what vengeance it wrought in you. Vengeance. Repentance will give you a vengeance towards sin. A hatred of it.